Well, good morning, New Life Church. I'll bring you greetings from Nasik Baptist Church in, in India. Um, my wife and I have been ministering there with our family for the last 14 years. But also bring you greetings from our home church in South Africa, Brackenhurst Baptist Church. Um, they are praying for our time of fellowship together. This morning, thank you for your hospitality and your warm welcome uh, for my wife and I. It's been a blessing to get to know some of you. Uh, we look forward to the, the rest of the week as well. Well, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be preaching a message this morning that I preached at Nasik to my congregation there, which was encouraging and, and helpful to the church. The church has been going through a number of different struggles, specifically opposition from the, the Hindu government lately, and we needed to be reminded as a, as a people of God that the Lord is in control, that the Lord is sovereign, and I'm sure you have your own set of struggles and trials that you face here in the UAE, and the word is uh, profitable for instruction in righteousness, so I'm sure this morning that the Lord would use his word for for you this morning. So let's read from verse 37 to verse 43. Just to give you some context, this passage is just after the, the Mount of Transfiguration, the story of the Transfiguration. Um, so I will talk a little bit about that as well. But from verse 37, it says, on the next day, so the next day when they were, had come down, the Bible says, from the mountain, a great crowd met him, that's Jesus. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, the spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, and it convulses him, so that he foams at the mouth, and shatters him, and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Verse 41, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. You can almost sense the, the frustration in Jesus' voice there. Verse 42, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. Let's pray before we study the passage this morning. Father, we thank you. We have the privilege of opening your word. We thank you for your word. We know, Lord, that it is inspired. And we know, Lord, it is profitable for us. So we pray that you would help us through the Holy Spirit this morning, to apply these truths to us. Help us, Father, to not just be the, the hearers of your word, but may we be the doers as well. We pray that you would be honored and glorified in our response to the, the scriptures this morning. We pray for your help as I, as I teach this passage. We pray that the Spirit, Lord, would, would not allow one word to drop to the ground this morning, and that you would be exalted here, clearly communicated this morning, through the preaching of your word, in Jesus' name I ask, amen. Well, a new government was elected in India in 2014, 
And there have been many changes there and many challenges amongst the minority communities, especially the, the Christian community. There have been many attacks on Christians and Muslims, which are also part of the minority. And according to the Open Doors list of countries where it's hardest to be a Christian, India is now number 17 on that list. Another report by a NGO said that in 2015, there was an unprecedented spike in intolerance amongst the minority communities. The report says, on an average, India saw an incident of hate crime against Christians each day during 2015. And the same report calls Maharashtra the Hindutva capital. Now, we're from Maharashtra. Nasik is in Maharashtra. Um, if you don't know India at all, the capital is Mumbai. And we live about four hours away from Mumbai. Now, the government in India is a Hindu government, and they've made that very clear. And they have a philosophy and ideology which they are trying to um, get the whole of India to adopt, which is called Hindutva. And it's similar to Sharia law, where they impose Hindutva laws on, on people. And there's been a lot of anti-Christian violence as a result. And the Hindu nationalists, they call themselves, are the ones who are to blame for this. There's been many acts of violence, including churches that have been burnt down. There's been Hindus which been, have uh, anti-reconverted uh, back to Hinduism. Christians who have become, uh, who had converted from Hinduism have been forced to reconvert. There's been physical threats of violence. There's been Bibles that have been burnt. There's been murders that have happened. There's even been rapes of, of nuns and Catholic uh, workers, destruction of schools, Christian schools, desecration of Christian cemeteries. Even one huge NGO by the name of Compassion International that's been working in India since two, 1968 had to close its doors in January this year, 2017. They used to run 580 orphanages in India, uh, which, were, which were manned and, and run by Indian staff. And they cared for more than 145,000 children in India, and they've been forced to, to close down. Well, this has been, this has been an unprecedented, um, coordinated and deliberate attack to drive many Christians out of, out of India. And this persecution has, has certainly been something that the church in India has had to, to deal with. But I'm sure this morning you can relate a little bit to some form of opposition that you yourself have maybe faced. And this passage this morning teaches us about this, this battle that we face as believers. And we see that even here in the passage, the disciples were battling with their faith. And they needed to be refocused. They need to be reminded, we need to be reminded that our belief that God is sovereign, that He is control over all of our troubles is a, is a truth from the very scriptures. And in the midst of our troubles, we, we are tempted to wonder if God is really in control. And sometimes we're tempted to, to think that our troubles are bigger than God. And we end up sinning. We end up believing a lie that the devil wants us to believe. And this passage has something to teach us about that very struggle. It's a struggle that all of us have faced at some point in our lives. So this morning, my outline 
Let me give it to you beforehand in case I forget during the passage. But the first point is the heartbroken father. And we see that in verse 37 and 38, if you take your notes. The second point is the helpless son in verse 39. The third point is the hopeless disciples in verse 40 and 41. And then the fourth point is the healing savior in verse 41 to verse 43. But let me start with the first point this morning, the heartbroken father. As I said previously in chapter 9, Luca's recording here is describing to us the transfiguration of Jesus. And Jesus had taken Peter, he had taken John and James with him up into this mountain. And on the top of the mountain, Moses appeared and Elijah appeared and they talked with, with Jesus. And if you look back there in, in verse 31, the Shekinah glory of God appears and Jesus and God himself speaks to the three disciples and he says there in verse 35, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. This is one of the most amazing accounts of the transfiguration in, in all the Gospels. It has all the, the details here in, in Luke. But the mountaintop experience could not last forever. Even Peter was trying to prolong the experience. He wanted to build little tents and little booths so that everybody could stay there together and enjoy the, enjoy the experience. It must have been amazing. And the Lord rebukes him for that. But Jesus had to come down. He knew he couldn't stay up there. Jesus had a job to do. He had a compassion for the lost. He had a compassion for the broken. And he needed to come down to where everybody lives, back to the, the valley. And the mountaintop experience couldn't last. And we see in our passage, the next day it says, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. Now we see here this desperate appeal from the father. His son, his only son, is demon-possessed. Over the years, nothing has, has helped his beloved son. Nothing has healed him. And we sense in this father's voice anguish and pain and desperation Pastor John MacArthur, he comments on this. He says, listen to the contrast here, a wonderful comparison. He says, the contrast between the two incidents are very striking. One happened on a mountain, the other happened in a valley. There was glory in the mountain and tragedy in the valley. On the mountain, Jesus Christ displayed his, his glorious majesty. While in the valley, Satan displayed his ugly, cruel violence. Two sons are in view here. One God-possessed, the other demon-possessed. One in whom his father was well-pleased, the other whose father was tortured with displeasure over his son's condition. One son fulfilled the glorious plan of the ages, confirmed by both New Testament and Old Testament saints. The other son was disassociated, disconnected, demented, and chaotic, without purpose or value to anyone. One son was the destroyer of demons, and the other son was destroyed by demons. You can see the, the vivid comparison there. And Luke is leading us from this mountaintop experience right back down into this valley of trouble that we all live in. And this is where Jesus lived. Let's not forget that this morning. 
we're told in this passage, Jesus went around healing the sick. He went around casting out demons. And he went to the aid of those who were in need. And this is the world that Jesus lived. This is the world that Jesus ministered in. And he wasn't going to leave until his time was finished, until he had accomplished for which purpose he had come. And this is a world that is filled with trouble. This is a broken world that we all live in. And Luke is drawing us attention to that very fact this morning. And the norm is not what happens on the Mount of Transfiguration. As wonderful as it is, that is not the norm. The norm, for our experience, is right in the valley where Jesus meets us in this broken world where we, we live. Now, here's the problem. Here's the trouble that we face, that we're often tempted to believe. When we're not in trouble, or at least when we're not aware of, of how much trouble we're in, we begin to think that that's, that's the norm for our lives. And we're tempted to, to believe this, this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that, that our lives should be comfortable, our lives should be happy, happy, happy. And that's not the norm as the way that the Bible describes it. We live in a corrupt, broken world. The Father is broken. The Son is destroyed. But notice here, in this broken world, the Father brings the Son to Jesus. Notice that. And notice Jesus' immediate reaction. Jesus says, bring that child to me. This is what I'm here for. This is, this is what I I'm, I'm, I'm want to do for you. I'll, I want to care for you. I can do something about this. I know you live in this world, but that's why I'm here. Let me deal with it. And we, you may have a situation similar to this. You may have your own struggles this morning that you're facing. Perhaps a son, perhaps a daughter, or a spouse, or a parent, or some other loved one that you, that you know is in a desperate situation and breaking your heart. Whatever that trouble is, let me encourage you this morning. Jesus is living in that situation. And he wants you to bring your troubles to him. He wants to help you. And this is the reminder we have from Luke this morning. Trouble is not the exception to the rule. It is the rule. And we should not be surprised when trouble comes. But we should not be surprised when we have a Savior who wants to help us in that trouble. My second point there in verse 39, the helpless son. And the father described his helpless son's condition. We see there in verse 39, behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. Now the other gospels also record this same incident we see in Mark chapter 9, again, the, the demon seizes the boy. The child screams. In Luke 9 here, the spirit throws him to the ground. He convulses so that he, he foams at his, at his mouth. In Mark 9, again, the boy is, grinds his teeth and, and he becomes as stiff as a, as a board. In Matthew 17, he's cast into the fire by this demon and he's cast into the water attempting to drown him. And this boy is covered with scars, according to, to Matthew 17. And even worse, in Mark 19, this boy has been made deaf. He's been made dumb. And you can, 
you can almost imagine this little boy living in a bubble, unable to communicate his, his troubles, communicate his suffering, and just looking like living in a, an, an aquarium in the out, to the outside world. And he can see what's going on. He can, he can feel the pain, but he, he's unable to do anything about it. And the father concludes in verse 39. This demon scarcely leaves him. And then he says, it is destroying him. The word destroy literally means crush. The demon was crushing him slowly, but he was doing it nonetheless. One commentator says, such destruction by a demonic force is commonly noted in the New Testament, but this is the first detailed mention in the Gospel of Luke. This boy is in a terrible situation. We have much description about it. This boy was completely helpless. And again, I'm sure you can relate to that. I'm sure you can. I'm not saying this morning that we've been possessed by demons. However, we understand this helpless situation when we wrestle with a medical issue. At the moment in South Africa, we're visiting our family and Kerry's Kerry's uncle has cancer on the brain. He's had two surgeries and it looks helpless. It looks helpless. Maybe you can relate to that. A work issue, a financial issue. But what about your spiritual condition as well? Are you in a situation where you feel helpless? A situation that is crushing you? A situation you feel that will destroy you? Well, this man did what? Brought his son to Jesus. We can bring our problems to the Lord because he wants to answer our prayers. And don't despair. Because if anything, this story teaches us that Jesus helps the helpless. Verse 40, look there with me. We see the third point, the hopeless disciples. The hopeless disciples. The father tells Jesus, and I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. So it seems while Jesus, Peter, and James and John were on the top of the mountain, this father had already come to the other disciples and asked them to cast out the demon, but they could not. Now that's, that's interesting. It's important for us to, to notice. Because just shortly before that, go back to verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. The Lord calls his 12 disciples together, and it says, He gives them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Now, this was their first short-term missions trip that the Lord had sent them out. And he sent them out with special supernatural power to declare the gospel. But they had power, it says, over all demons. Underline that word, it's important. All demons, not some, all. So it's strange here that we come to this passage, and these disciples, it says, are unable to cast out this demon. There's a problem. Why? This is the lesson here for us this morning. Look at Jesus' response in verse 41. Jesus gives us an idea why. He says, O faithless and perverse generation, 
How long shall I be with you and suffer you? That's from the King James. In Matthew and Mark, this same parallel account, the disciples come to Jesus and they, they ask Jesus in private. And Jesus says to them, because of your little faith. That's his answer. And that's the answer here in this passage as well. There was a problem with their faith. There was a battle going on with their faith. The Lord said to them, this demon, this kind of demon, cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Prayer is a dependence on the Lord, is it not? And it seems to me that these disciples had stopped depending on the Lord. They had stopped depending on the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples somehow thought that they could, in their, in their own power, do something. Perhaps they did some type of a ritual. Perhaps they performed some type of a, of a puja. And they went through some method. But they weren't praying. They weren't trusting and asking the Lord to help them do this. And they didn't. They weren't successful. And the Lord responds with very strong words in verse 41. Look at the adjectives there. You faithless. Look at perverse. And the word perverse means to corrupt, means to turn away. So we get a sense that these disciples had somehow been corrupted. They had somehow turned away from the, from the power of God. That other adjective there, faithless. You know what the Greek meaning for faithless is? Without faith. They had no faith. And it's sad for me to see that Jesus was living in this twisted and unbelieving generation. And it's even more sad that Jesus is addressing his disciples. And we know the, the Pharisees were perverted. We know they were hypocrites. We know that they were unrighteous. And the Lord addresses them many times. Even the Israelites, we know they were twisted in many ways. And the Lord addresses them many times. But here the Lord is addressing his disciples who had forsaken everything to follow him. They had a problem with faith. They were battling with their faith. The disciples had demonstrated a, a useless type of belief here. And Jesus asks them in that verse, How long shall I suffer you? How long must I put up with you? How long must I bear with you, he's saying. They couldn't cast the demon out of one little boy because they didn't believe that the power was available to them. The faith was not in Jesus. And Jesus calls them together, and he gave them this power, but they were not trusting the Lord. Now this is, I'm not saying that these disciples were unsaved. They were not denying Jesus as their Messiah. That is not what this passage is teaching us. What's going on here is the disciples are not believing in the words that Jesus had spoken or they had forgotten. The Lord said, I'll give you authority over the, the demons and they, they had forgotten that or they had failed to believe that. And friends, you know, before we're too critical with the disciples this morning, before we start pointing fingers at them, the same kind of struggle we all face with regard to our faith 
with regard to our unbelief, when troubles are staring us in the face, when troubles are right there in front of us, we forget the promises of God. We forget that God is sovereign over all our troubles. We forget that He's working all things together for good according to His own purpose. And we end up attempting to solve the problem in our own strength, in our, in our own skills, with our own skills. There's a wonderful illustration that will help us understand this. A story about Charles Blondin. Maybe you've heard of him. He was a famous French tightrope walker who worked in a very famous circus during the 18th century. They traveled the world, but he became famous when he became the first person to cross the, a tightrope that was stretched across the Niagara Falls. Now, that's over 11,000 feet, over a quarter of a mile long. And people from Canada were on the one side, and people from America were from the other side, and they all gathered to see this amazing event. And he walked across, not once, many times, 160 feet above the, the falls. Each time he did something different, something more daring to dazzle the crowds. One time he got in a, in a potato sack and walked across. Another time he, he walked on stilts. Another time he got on a bicycle and he went across the, the ropes. Another time he did it blindfolded. And, and even one time he sat in the middle of this, of this canyon and he cooked an omelet on a portable, on a portable stove. This man was truly gifted. This man, I mean, dazzled the crowds. The crowds were ooing and they, are, they were eyeing. And then he brought a wheelbarrow and he went across to the, to the one side. And then he asked the crowd, he said, do you believe that I could push a man in this wheelbarrow across the, crowd, uh, across the rope? And then everybody said, yes, of course, we believe you. You're magnificent. We've seen all the things that you were able to do. And then he says, okay, then, I need one volunteer. <laughs> well, the story goes, he didn't get a volunteer. I think this illustrates to us this picture of faith. Now, the crowd watched these daring feats. They said they believed, but when they needed to put their faith in this man that they believed in, they were not ready to do that. And similarly, it's for us the same when we believe in God. However, it's true faith when we believe in Jesus and put our faith into action. Like I said, we can point fingers at these disciples, but how, how guilty are we of doing the, exactly the same thing? We're not ready to get into this wheelbarrow. We're not willing to put our faith in action. We don't believe. We're not willing to trust the God of the universe who created the world with our simple problems. Jesus said through his servant, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, that God works together all things for your good. In your troubles, do you believe that God is doing good? It may not make sense to us, but do you believe this? Do you believe that he's sovereign over these troubles? And perhaps you are crushed by despair and uncertainties when you look around in your situation and you begin to ask, what's going on? Perhaps the 
the oil prices are going lower and lower. Perhaps your work situation is getting more desperate and desperate. What's going on? Is God really in control of this? God doesn't love me, and we're tempted to even accuse God of that. He doesn't care about me. You know what? Let me just take this situation in, into my own hands. I will do something about it. I am God of my own universe. Do you believe that God is sovereign over your troubles? Well, this passage should encourage you to ask a different set of questions. If you're truly a Christian this morning, those type of questions we shouldn't be asking. If you're truly a believer this morning, we should be asking a whole set of different questions. And it's all right to ask questions. Questions aren't the problem. It's the attitude that's the problem. You shouldn't be saying, why me, Lord? First of all, we need to remember the Lord uses problems. He uses trials. He uses opposition to make us into gold, to glorify himself so that people around us can see the, the majesty of God in a difficult situation. And this world is filled with troubles, but the Lord is greater than these troubles. Trouble is the norm. It's not the exception. But we're not going to be asking why me as if, as if we're the exception. Now, the questions that we should be asking is, is Lord, what, what am I supposed to do right now? And perhaps, Lord, why? Or what, what am I supposed to learn from this? How can I give you the honor through this difficult situation? These are strong questions. We shouldn't be asking and questioning the Lord's sovereignty. How can we glorify God in our problems? Do you believe that God is sovereign over your troubles? That's perhaps our biggest doubt. But look at the conclusion this morning in verse 41. We see here the, the healing Savior. Jesus says to the Father, bring your son here. And while the boy is coming to Jesus for healing, we see in verse 42, a desperate attempt by Satan he throws the boy to the ground, and the boy starts to convulse. A last-ditch attempt, I think. This was one last desperate attempt. But Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit in verse 42. He heals the boy, and he gives the, the boy back to his father. But look there in verse 43. It says, all were astonished at what? The majesty of God. Jesus never turned anybody away, and Jesus never failed at any attempts to reconcile a broken situation, to heal somebody in a desperate condition. And people were amazed, and they marveled at the majesty of God. Suffering the Lord uses to glorify himself, folks. Remembering in John 9, the blind man, the apostles asked him, why was he born blind? They thought perhaps his parents had sinned, or they thought there was another reason. Perhaps he had done something wrong, even before he was blind, some superstitious belief they had. And the Lord said he was born blind so that he would glorify me. And God doesn't take away our suffering. He doesn't take away our troubles but he helps us through these troubles, folks, so that he will be glorified in our responses 
so that he will get the majesty that he deserves. Jesus is willing to help us this morning if we're willing to put our faith in him, in his words, and trust him and not ourselves. Let me conclude here with one passage. Look at James chapter 1, if you would. James 1, verse 5. The Bible says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Is your faith in this resurrected Messiah, folks? Or are you like this wind? Are you like this sea? Are you tossed around and driven around by these circumstances, wandering in your, in your faith? We need to be steadfast in our faith. And so did the disciples. They were touching the Messiah. They were walking with the Messiah, and they failed. Don't despair, folks. The Lord doesn't give up on us. The Lord doesn't give up on us. But remember, God is not going to honor doubt. He's going to honor faith. He, he honored his disciples eventually once they, once they learned to trust him more. And faith is at the heart of the, the Christian life. We cannot call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, if we don't have faith in Jesus. When people look around us, do they see us trusting in the Lord in a difficult situation? Do they see us praying to the Lord, crying out to him, expecting Him to answer our prayers. Whatever it is that we need from the Lord this morning, whether it's some peace, maybe forgiveness, or mercy, or grace, it's available to us if we put our faith in the Lord. Remember Hebrews 11, verse 6. The writer of Hebrews says, Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe. Is your faith in the Lord? I hope, Christian, that that you want to please God. I hope, Christian, that you this morning want to draw near to the Lord. Perhaps it's your faith that is the issue this morning. But to the unbeliever that's in this room, in a hall this size with so many people, there's bound to be people that don't know Jesus. Where is your faith? What is the object of your faith? And that is the question this morning. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is, not, then our faith is in vain. Our faith is in the resurrected Messiah. Our faith is in Jesus Christ himself. Our faith should not be in the, in the oil prices. Our faith should not be in our, in our husbands or our wives. Our faith should not be in our parents. Our faith is not in our religion. Our faith is not even in our church. Our faith is certainly not in our pastor. Our 
faith is not in our education. Our faith needs to be in the person of Jesus Christ, in the resurrected Messiah. Jesus is the only source of salvation. We see that in the Scriptures. John 14, verse 6. If our faith is not in Him, there's no joy. If our faith is not in Him, there is no peace. If our faith is not in Him, there is no eternal life. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that no one else but Christ died for sinners like you and me. And he rose from the dead to validate that saving power over death. He has conquered death, folks, and nobody else has. Put your faith in him. In Christ alone, God extends this perfect blood and righteousness of his son because he was the only one who paid for the penalty of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Is your faith in the person of Jesus Christ this morning? Do you believe in this sacrifice that he made for you? Have you gotten into the wheelbarrow? Are you trusting in the only source of salvation? If not, I pray today that you would trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word. Father, we know sometimes it's not easy to, to swallow. It's not easy to, to chew. Lord, we know that we are called to do this very thing. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would open our eyes to areas where we have failed in our faith. Lord, I pray that this passage would encourage us to see that you are the gracious and merciful God who, who is ready to forgive and to cleanse all those call and out to you in repentance. May we not this morning neglect your word. May we not neglect the spirit who is speaking to us today. I pray, Lord, this week that we will put our faith into action, that we would be doers of your word. Father, that we would glorify you in our, in our situation, as difficult as it is. And you know everyone here this morning better than I do, Lord. You know the troubles they may be facing their struggles, their hurt. Pray, Lord, that you would minister to them. And may they trust you to do that. May they trust you to do that this morning. And may those people who see us every day in our trials see Christ magnified. May you be exalted in us, Lord Jesus. May you receive the glory from your people because you, Lord, are worthy. We pray this prayer in your son Jesus' name. Amen.